Hi, everybody, and welcome to Talk Gnosis. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Jeffrey S. Kupperman, author of Living Theurgy, friend of the show, and my personal favorite Neoplatonist. Uh, we're going to talk to him about the Rosicrucians and their legacy over the years. It's a super interesting topic, and uh, what it has to do with Gnosticism, you might find surprising, but you'll have to wait till the end of the episode for that. So anyway, we hope you enjoy this episode of Talk Gnosis with Dr. Jeffrey S. Kupperman. So Dr. Kupperman, tell us, who were the Rosicrucians, uh, where did they come from, and, and who was Christian Rosenkreutz? Oh, you know, that's, it's a tricky question to answer, especially when it comes to where did the Rosicrucians come from. There are some traditions that date them back to the 9th century or so, mm-hmm. in Egypt, of all places, as, a, as an Arabic or, or Muslim order, that then gets uh, brought into the secret part of the Templars, because, of course, the Templars. Of course. Um, and then get, sort of remanifest themselves in the 1600s when the Fama Tadis shows up. Um, and there is, of course, a, you know, a long tradition of uh, co-opting people into the Rosicrucian order long after they've died. So mm-hmm. almost anyone you could think of who, who at some point has had a rose somehow associated with them uh, has become a Rosicrucian. So Dante, for instance, because there is the, the rose of creation uh, in the Divine Comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, you know, well known for his mysticism. Uh, <laughs> Because he has a rose cross in his coat of arms. Yes, or, of or Daniel Kramer, uh, the, the author of the so-called uh, Rosicrucian uh, emblems, uh, which have nothing obviously Rosicrucian in them, except, you know, there's a rose at some point. Uh, and, Martin, and Kramer also has a rose cross uh, in his uh, coat of arms, which probably has nothing to do with the fact that he was a devout Lutheran and that he might have been copying Martin Luther, but instead he was, of course, a Rosicrucian. <laughs> They're because like that's the, how it uh, They're like the Mormons of the uh, the esoteric world. They're baptizing people after they're dead. I, uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> um, right. So it, it's a movement that uh, a lot of gardeners, after they died, have been roped into. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then after they show up, everyone wants to be a member. Um, right. Whether or not they were is sort of a, a sort of different question. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting uh, set of of symbols to be sure, but um, not altogether unusual for the time, right? Like these are, you know, a rose and a cross uh, are fairly universal symbols at the time. Yeah, uh, they're 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 pretty much everywhere, and they have uh, a fair set of uh, standard Christian meanings. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need to go. To the Rosicrucians, to, to as soon as you see one, and go, oh well, clearly, <laughs> it's it, it's it's not like the the square and compass has become where you see that and you go, okay, Freemason, right? You see a rose and a cross in the 1600s, it could mean almost anything, mm-hmm. which then you know leads us to to Christian Rosencruz uh, himself, because you asked, you know, who who is this guy, um, and the odds are he probably didn't exist, uh, yeah, because stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather, we don't even get his name until the third manifesto. He's just Brother CR, Brother CRC, uh, in, in the first two uh, manifestos. Uh, and the story that's in the Fama Fraternitatis says that he's, you know, the young son of a, a noble family who uh, enters into the monastery. Which, if put, placing this in a sort of a historical context, would suggest that if he was a real person and this was a real family, 
then he would have been like a second or third son because he wasn't going to inherit anything. So, mm-hmm. you know, entered him in, into the, the clergy. And of course, he's super smart and he travels the world learning the Kabbalah of all the different places, which, which seems to be the uh, uh, 17th century way of saying mysticism. Everything's now Kabbalah. Yeah. Mm. Um, so they're studying Arabic Kabbalah and Persian Kabbalah and, and of course, Jewish Kabbalah. And it's, it, well, they don't mean what we mean by it today, mm-hmm. it, it seems. Um, but mostly he is a sort of archetypal figure uh, at the center of, of the Rosicrucian movement or the Rosicrucian order. He is this figure who kind of knows everything. He collects the wisdoms of the world and he gathers it all together and sort of um, codifies it into a single system of knowledge uh, that he then gathers a bunch of other people together uh, into their sanctum sanctorum, their, their, their Rosicrucian mountain. Uh, and they, everybody learns it and they go out into the world professing to do nothing but to heal the sick and that free. Mm-hmm. What is he based on? You know, my, my, my favorite pet theory, and it's my favorite because it's mine, um, <laughs> is that he is largely based on Marsilio Ficino, uh, the, the Renaissance yeah. Neoplatonist. Uh, and I come to that uh, largely through um, uh, Valentinus's connection um, to Tommaso Campanella, uh, who was a student of Ficino's work. Um, and he was a writer uh, of utopic uh, visionary stories and things like that, which Valentinus was, uh, as, or Valentinus was as well. Um, and so we can sort of see in uh, Ficino, this guy who you know, collected all of this knowledge, hermetic knowledge, Neoplatonic knowledge, Platonism, all of this stuff, uh, and brought it all together, supposedly started the uh, Platonic Academy, though there's a lot of debate over whether or not that was a real thing. Um, and then he disseminated that knowledge just like Christian Rosenkreutz does. Now, uh, Fischino doesn't live to be like 108 years old, and he doesn't have his body hidden in a secret vault, so far as we know. <laughs> uh, but he, he, CRC seems to be this sort of amalgam of wisdom figures. Uh, there's certainly a, a bit uh, of Christ in there with, with his death and not really being resurrected, uh, but, but being found again in, in the, sort of the resurrection of the order after his, uh, the discovery of his tomb. Mm-hmm. And for those of you playing the drinking game along at home, it's about five and a half minutes for a so far as we know from Dr. Kupperman. So that's <laughs> everybody take a drink. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so Dr. Kupperman, the, uh, the the founder of the order, is uh, is, is probably mythical. Um, we're not quite sure where it started. Like, what is what? Where? How do we know about these Rosicrucians? What what are they? Where did they come from? What are these uh, these manifestos that you you mentioned earlier? So we know about them largely outside of these nebulous traditions that you know we can ever actually get any solid evidence of of, of uh, historical veracity. Outside of those, we have these three so-called mani- uh, Rosicrucian manifestos. There's the, uh, the first was the Fama Fraternitatis, which was published in 1614. And then I think a year le- later, there's the Confessio Fraternitatis. And then a bit later, we have the Chemical Wedding, uh, which is sort of a, uh, a, a play almost, or uh, an allegory. Mm. Uh, the, first of, the first of these two, uh, the Fama, the, or the discovery of the fraternity of the most laudable order of the Rosy Cross, uh, because long names in Latin are fun, uh, 
uh, is basically the the story of Christian Rosenkreutz or CRC and his traveling about the world, everything I was just talking about, uh, and the initial formation of the order and their basic set of rules. Uh, the first, there are like five or six of them, the first of which is that they profess to do nothing except to heal the sick and that gratis. And then there are other things like they don't dress in a special way so they can blend in with the, pe with the people and, and things like that. Uh, the Confessio comes out like the next year. These are all, these are published in, in Kessel, uh, Germany, I believe. Um, and it is really it's a discussion of Rosicrucian philosophy. So it goes more deeply into what it means to be a Rosicrucian. The, the first one, the Fama, was really sort of interesting because it says, "Hey, we exist. Mm -hmm. Come join us. All you have to do is let it be known that you want to join us, and someone will get in contact with you." <laughs> Don't call Which us, we'll call you. Yeah, <laughs> or no, call us and we promise we will totally call you back. <laughs> it, it's, it's right up there with other things to do, like destroy the papacy. Um, and, <laughs> and, and, the, and the Fama and the Confessio are, are fairly anti-papal. Uh, we, we're very confident in, in a Lutheran uh, origin uh, to these uh, writings. Um, whether anybody was ever actually contacted again... Sure, let's go with that. Uh, again, you know, there's, there's no way of knowing um, if, if there was ever a group, uh, any actual group behind it or not. Of course, again, all the modern Rosicrucian orders, of which there are a plethora, um, they all, of course, say we go all the way back to the original Rosicrucians, mm -hmm. whoever those might have been. <laughs> so the chemical wedding is a bit different from the other two um, manifestos. Uh, this was written in 1616, or published in 1616, just a year after the Confessio, two years after the Fama. Um, we actually know who wrote this, uh, a, a Lutheran by the name of uh, Johann Valentin André. Uh, this is the guy who was influenced by uh, Tommaso Campanella that I mentioned before. Um, and he's the son of a, uh, of a Lutheran minister himself, is, is in seminary. And instead of being a dry uh, history or a bunch of philosophy, uh, the chemical wedding uh, is a C-H-Y-M-I-C-A-L, uh, which is a reference to, to alchemy, <clears throat> uh, is also it's an alchemical or is often interpreted as being an alchemical allegory. And so it has the character of Christian Rosencruz, we finally get his name, uh, and he has this almost Dante-like uh, vision, not of heaven and hell, because that would have been really interesting. Uh, but instead of this, this seven-day journey that he takes to the wedding of a king and a queen, uh, who we really never get their name because they're not actually people. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it, it is this, 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 I almost hesitate to say beautiful allegory, probably isn't the original German, um, is this, this allegory of uh, chemical, uh, alchemical symbolism uh, the, the role of Eros and Venus, um, there's a lot of uh, symbolism using the number seven, so there's a lot of planetary stuff sort of going on in the background. Uh, it's also a moral allegory uh, as well. Um, and if we take this in connection with the, the Fama and the Confessio, it sort of comes across as being, you know, how do you live your life as a Rosicrucian in, in a spiritual way? Hmm. Uh, and the, the, the author himself, uh, Andre, is, is interesting. It's, he's thought to be a brother AI in the Fama Fraternitatis, so that he is part of this circle 
uh, according to some at least, that, that produced the Fama and the Confessio in the first place, though there's uh, disagreement on that. Sure, as with all secret documents, uh, yes, yeah, <clears throat> they don't come right out and say it, so we put a bunch of stuff in there that we, that we want to believe, I guess. Um, you mentioned in the Confessio that there it was a listing of um, kind of the, the, the way that people uh, or what the Rosicrucians believed. Can you go into a little bit more detail about that? Yeah, so this was uh, uh, the, sort of the overall philosophy of the, of the, the Rosicrucians. Um, and you can get, you know, you can find versions of, of the translations all over the place. Mm -hmm. uh, there are certainly a bajillion different ones on uh, the Internet, though they're all really old and kind of bad. <laughs> uh, uh, but the, the, the Rosicrucian philosophy, uh, you know, it's, it's a mystical philosophy. It's, it's a, a contemplative philosophy. philosophy as well um, it, it, it as we get from the fama it, it is uh, has a lot to do with healing uh, um, Paracelsus is, is mentioned uh, for instance he seems to be the the main alchemical influence or alchemical influence on Rosicrucianism um, and of course he uh, he was a physician much like uh, Ficino was before him um, so we have this this uh, very strong notion of healing there there is of course, Disagreement on whether this is supposed to be physical healing or spiritual healing, uh, my guess would be both uh, considering uh, the people who are cited um, and sort of the language that that's used. And of course, the overall sort of mystical nature of, of Rosicrucianism and uh, the alchemy uh, that's that's mentioned. Um, that's sort of a, a, a beginning. The, the, the Confessio itself is not super lengthy um but it goes into a, a lot of different areas uh, but that healing aspect is is really quite primary in, in rosicrucian philosophy mm -hmm. uh, which is something that itself is quite interesting because when you look at modern rosicrucian uh organizations you know the first rule uh, in the in the fama for the rosicrucians is we profess to do nothing except heal the sick and that gratis mm -hmm. And you now almost never see that in any of the modern Rosicrucian groups, especially the more magically oriented ones. It's actually a pretty common uh, trope or, or even meme among some people discussing the Rosicrucians that this was all a hoax. So some people got together, uh, they wrote up these documents talking about mysterious Rosicrucians, and you know maybe they believed them in an allegorical way, but some people say no, they're just trying to basically stir the pot. Um, so this this idea that this was all of a hoax is, is pretty common, and if you can address it, and everybody can see my hands moving around a lot. And kind of part two of that question is, as you mentioned, we actually know who wrote The Chemical Wedding of Christian Rosenkreutz, but later on in life, didn't he say that that was uh, kind of a parody, or he was a young man, you know, uh, kind of having a joke or, uh, or such? Yeah, so was this a real order? You know, that, that's sort of... The, the basic question, or was this a literary thing maybe meant as a joke? May, may, who, who, I, it's really impossible to say. Um, as, as I think I mentioned, you know, they said, come and contact us and we'll get right back to you. And we know, you know dozens, hundreds of people would write in the, in the papers, basically taking out Rosicruz and personal ads. Um, <laughs> right, saying, hey, I, here I am. I, I want to join and we have no way of knowing if anyone was ever contacted we, we do have some evidence that there were people who were not contacted um, because people <laughs> complain shockingly <laughs> enough um, 
but whether people were contacted, uh, who knows? Uh, the question is to whether uh, Andre meant this a, as a hoax. Again, that that's that's difficult um, because we have other occult writers um, like Agrippa, uh, Henry Canuthus Agrippa, said, "Oh no, this was all just uh, I retract everything that I said." Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at you know why they're doing it, there's often outside influence. Um, <laughs> like retract what you said or else. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So. Even when we see that sort of thing happening, it's hard to know if we should take it at face value or if there's something else going on. Um, I suppose if Andre was really a Rosicrucian, and the first rule of Rosicrucianism is to never say that you're a Rosicrucian, but just say that you're healing the sick, he would almost have to retract it. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it's all sort of speculation. Uh, to me, the most interesting speculation that goes on this was... Uh, comes from Count Michael Meyer, um, who is alive in the late, uh, mid to late 1500s, uh, early 1600s. He dies in 1622. Uh, and he's a physician, and he's a philosopher, and he's an alchemist, and he composes music. He, he, he is an advisor and physician to uh, uh, Rudolf II of Habsburg. And he says, in at least some of his writings, he suggests that there was never... A single Rosicrucian order, and that was never the point. Instead, the purpose uh, of the manifestos was to inspire the creation of Rosicrucian orders, that it would get people who are of like mind to what's presented in the the manifestos, get them together and get them doing Rosicrucian things. Hmm. And so instead of representing an actual group, it was sort of the um, the manifestos of or a building block to, you can make your very own Rosicrucian group and you can go and do all these Rosicrucian things and make the world a better place. So um, would you say that, it was something like an open source order of Rosicrucians? <laughs> I think in modern language, that's what um, Meyer would have said, mm. but in German. Of course, right. Yeah. And which it would probably be one word in German. Oh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and this is what uh, what happened with these documents, right? Uh, you mentioned people trying to contact the uh, Rosicrucians, not having uh, uh, any luck. But then we also have people read the documents, and maybe they don't join up with this mysterious brotherhood, but they do take them into their own workings, their own philosophies. They write treatises on them. They incorporate them into their spirituality. They try to live by them. This this is this was the result for the most part. Uh, they they weren't just written. There was a hubbub, and then they went away. Yeah, I mean, people use them. I mean, you've got Michael Meyer who wrote you know, a lot of different things on um, around the same time. You have Thomas Vaughn who wrote his you know, Rules of the Confraternity of the Rose Cross. Uh, so you've got groups going into the 17 and, and, and 1800s uh, who are trying to become Rosicrucians. I mean, half of them, of course, say <laughs> we're the ancient Rosicrucians, so far as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> But it, it wasn't just this thing that, that died. Uh, it, it's something that sort of continued on. Um, and of course, as what we'll invariably talk about, there are any number of organizations today um, that claim some sort of Rosicrucian heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Rosicrucians certainly, uh, if, <laughs> whether they existed or not, Rosicrucian ideas certainly had a, a big influence on, uh, on society. Um, what, uh, h- how was Rosicrucianism linked to science and kind of utopian ideas? And, uh, and can you tell us about the Rosicrucian Enlightenment? 
Yeah. Okay, so three vaguely connected things. <laughs> um, that's what we do here. We vaguely what, connect things. That is, uh, that's, that's the Rosicrucian way. <laughs> I, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but you couldn't tell us if it was. <laughs> but I can't, I cannot I confirm or deny that, but, but we do heal the sick for free. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the Rosicrucian section of science is actually really interesting. If you're familiar uh, with English society, there, there is the Royal Society, which is the mm -hmm. Royal Society of Physicians, which was created as a Rosicrucian organization originally, with Rosicrucian foundations. Uh, and it's still going on today. Mm -hmm. um, not, you know, ostensibly Rosicrucian anymore. Um, but when you read the Fama, and, and again, the Fama was published in, in 1614, but takes place in the 1300s, there is a lot of reference and recourse to science. You know, they're, they're charting the heavens, uh, they're, they're learning medicine, uh, they're, they're, they're physicists and, and doctors and astronomers and astrologers, which in the 1300s would have been part of astronomy or astronomy would have been part of astrology. Mm -hmm. uh, so from the, the, the earliest uh, Rosicrucian writings, they're connecting themselves to science, that science holds a place right alongside mysticism, right along with theurgy or, or magic and alchemy. Um, they're all part of this sort of same way of understanding uh, creation, uh, which is sort of an ideology that, that comes out of the Renaissance, that, that the God gives the world three revelations. He gives the Bible, he gives Christ, and the world itself is, is revelation. Mm -hmm. uh, so by studying the world, you can come to know God and Christ better. And so alchemy and science and all and chemistry and all those sort of things come out of this ideology, uh, which is ultimately very mystical in, in nature. Uh, the utopianism is sort of interesting. Uh, Andre himself wrote utopian uh, stories, mm -hmm. Uh, T uh, Tommaso Campanella wrote uh, utopian stories. Marcello Ficino wrote these. Um, you know, they're trying to create this perfect spiritual, possibly anti-Catholic society, <laughs> um, because Lutherans, um, where we're sort of ruled by this this almost ironically given the, the, the Lutheran background, the, the Lutheranism after Luther uh, becomes heavily philosophical and, and heavily associated with, with the use of reason. All the things that Luther, reje Luther rejected about Plato and Renaissance uh, Christianity, a lot of the things sort of get brought back into the more mystically, that's a, that's a technical term, <laughs> uh, uh, forms of Lutheranism, in, including uh, the Rosicrucians. Uh, so they're trying to create basically a utopic society of reason and uh, mystical agape and science and, and mysticism and perfect health both spiritually and um, physically and religiously. Mm -hmm. And this uh, this obviously never came to pass but <laughs> as far <laughs> as, as we know. know. <laughs> uh, but um, but but what was the influence on uh, later society? Did did did, um, did these ideas influence uh, later thinkers who weren't necessarily Rosicrucians? Um, yeah, I, especially through things like the Royal Society. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this this sort of foundation of, of health. I mean, we could argue, and this would probably be somewhat, um, shall we say, speculative, that. Uh, England's entire healthcare system, you know, I don't want to go so far as to say it's free healthcare because it's not anymore, 
could very well be based on the Rosicrucian idea of healing the sick and that for free, mm-hmm. which would have been brought into the, the royal society. Um, we, you know, this the separation between the sciences and the mystical arts and alchemy and things like that. That's really quite modern. Uh, when you you can go back 100 150 years, um, you know, maybe even not that far back, where you have you know physicians, Newton, uh, you know, sort of the most famous of the or not physicians, but you know physicists like Newton, mm-hmm. who's a practicing alchemist. That we you know we have his alchemical writings. Um, now, of course. And I'm sure this will shock you. Some people do claim that Newton was a Rosicrucian. Of course. Uh, but again, there, we have no evidence of, of that. So, so these, these types of ideas of healing the sick, of creating the, the, the Philosopher's Stone and the universal medicine, um, which were by no means the invention of Rosicrucianism or the Rosicrucians, but were propagated by the Rosicrucians or Rosicrucian ideology. We see it sort of influencing uh, everyone. Um, of uh, an intel- or not necessarily everyone, but a lot of people, um, whether or not they were or were not Rosicrucians. I mean, of course, I mean, later on you get uh, people uh, like um, W. B. Yeats um, and the Golden Dawn folks, uh, mm-hmm. who are not just occultists, but but bring uh, their their occult activities into their their work, mm-hmm. uh, poetry and their artwork and that sort of stuff. Um, uh, but I would suggest that even some of the stuff that we see in spiritualism uh, in uh, the early Victorian era uh, may have been influenced by uh, Rosicrucian ideology, this, this trying to find these spiritual truths, which were quite frankly seen as being scientific in nature, that, that you could study these things in a scientific way. Mm-hmm. And it sort of brings us you know, to your other question on the Rosicrucian Enlightenment. Now, this is a, a term, as far as I know, coined by Francis Yates. Uh, which is difficult because most of her Rosicrucian Enlightenment theory has been debunked. She basically sees the Rosicrucians and the hermetic, Hermeticists everywhere in history mm-hmm. doing all the things, mm-hmm. um, which there isn't a heck of a lot of uh, evidence to really support anymore. Uh, but that said, her idea of a Rosicrucian Enlightenment influenced Rosicrucian, modern, the Rosicrucian of, of her time, of, of the 20th century, um, so that we are now back reading this sort of enlightenment into the Enlightenment era mm-hmm. uh, and seeing this sort of mystical nature coming out of it that we use to inform our own modern way of approaching the world as mystics, as Rosicrucians, as Hermitists. Mm-hmm. That actually leads me to... Um Another question. You, you mentioned that that uh, the Rosicrucians didn't invel- invent alchemy, and that's certainly true, but they did incorporate it. Um, what other relationships can you draw between uh, the Rosicrucians and the alchemists and the hermeticists and, and the like? Is, is this one continuous stream, or is, is Rosicrucianism something, uh, something sp- uh, specifically different than hermeticism? Um. You know, that's a good question. I think that's going to depend on who you ask. Francis mm-hmm. Yates is going to say, though, they were totally hermitists. Um, and they're, they're from the, the modern, uh, you know, the Victorian area, hermeticism, uh, we certainly see elements of that in, in, in Rosicrucianism. Uh, whether or not we see, you know, second century Corpus Hermetica type of hermitism, 
Uh, I would be more on the probably not in any explicit way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there seems to be a, a general sort of uh, Platonism mm-hmm. going on, but you know that's Platonism's everywhere. Right. So yeah. Yeah, can't yeah, swing yeah. a dead cat without hitting Plato. You, you, you really can't. And why would you want to? Quite uh, frankly, no, it's true. It's, um, it's very unpleasant. When it comes to alchemy, you know, today there seem to be some some divorce between alchemy and Rosicrucianism, depending on which organization you're looking at. Mm. But it also depends on what we mean by alchemy. Um, the Fama really seems to be talking about physical alchemy, you know, laboratory work, mm-hmm. uh, which does have a spiritual element to it. It's not just the puffers, as, as they were called. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't seem to be referring to you know modern spiritual alchemy where where it's all this internal meditation and things like that and only that sort of thing, mm-hmm. uh, which some modern uh, um, Rosicrucian organizations, I think Amork is probably a really good example of that. You know they focus on that spiritual alchemy mm-hmm. uh, or their version of spiritual alchemy, but you won't see well you may see individual members of Amork practicing laboratory alchemy. It doesn't seem to be. Uh, their emphasis but by any means mm-hmm. um, when you move into like the golden dawn um, we do see some uh, some individual members certainly i think uh, Aiton was, was a, uh, a practical alchemist uh france uh, israel regardi uh practiced laboratory alchemy mm-hmm. um but when you look at the golden dawn material itself it's more it uses alchemical symbolism in a, in a ritualized manner uh, pat Seleski, uh, uh and uh uh, Chris Seleski wrote about it, uh, for instance, um, uh, back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, sort of, it's, it's not even that all alchemists are Rosicrucian or all Rosicrucians are alchemists, uh, but some r- modern Rosicrucians were alchemists. Classical, if there's such a thing, mm-hmm. uh, literary uh, Rosicrucianism was certainly alchemical in nature. Uh, but, and people like Michael Meyer, uh, who was a practicing alchemist, uh, you know, brought that, but he was a practicing alchemist before he came into contact with Rosicrucianism. Mm-hmm. Meyer died in 1622. The was published, you know, less than 10 years before he died. So it seems unlikely that he suddenly picked up uh, alchemy on his deathbed uh, to, because he was interested in Rosicrucianism. He was doing that long before Rosicrucianism. Um, it was probably why he, part of why he was interested in the Rosicrucians because he was an alchemist. They were alchemists. Let's get this going on. How is uh, Rosicrucianism linked to, to later orders? You know, we talked a lot about the 1600s, but uh, doesn't it kind of have an influence on the uh, uh, different orders that are popping up around Europe that are still around today? I'm thinking like Freemasonry and Martianism uh, in, the, uh, in the 1700s and then later on in the 1800s, uh, you know, like uh, Golden Dawn and then early 20th century OTO. Uh, yeah. Um... It, the the connections seem to be largely external. I, again, you'll find people saying, "Well, you know, the Martinists, we were we were always Rosicrucians, and then we just sort of came out." Uh, um, but what we seem to find um, very frequently is that, for instance, you look at um, Freemasonry and Scottish Rite Freemasonry, where there are uh, the Rosicrucian degrees, uh, where somebody thought this was a really neat idea. And there are some really cool Rosicrucian stuff going on, so let's let's use some of that symbolism, uh, and we'll make some degrees. And well, because you know this was at the time where uh, there were 
you know, billions and billions of degrees uh, <laughs> in, in in Freemasonry. Um, you know, there there are there are even Rosicrucian degrees uh, in York Rite as well. But I think the Scottish Rite ones are a little bit more well known. Um, but when you look at the the Scottish Rite Rosicrucian degrees, uh, you know, you don't have they're not saying, and now you should go practice alchemy. Uh, you know, they're they're allegorical, they're symbolic, they're moral. Uh, maybe some people will contemplate on them, um, but I don't know that anybody consider themselves to be part of the Rosicrucian order, uh, right? Because they're the eighteenth, you know, the eighteenth degree of Scottish Rite. Um, uh, sorry, to the, sorry to jump in there just to kind of stay on this, although I'm sure it'll apply to some of these other orders. Do these so so basically there, there's an order in these in these higher Masonic bodies, other Masonic. Uh, bodies, uh, sorry, degrees that are called like Rosicrucian Captain Number uh, Degree Seventeen. Um, I don't. Something. I'm just something <laughs> like that. Knights so, of the something or other. Knights of the something, whatever Rosicrucian, blah blah blah. And uh, they receive. They go for a ritual. They receive an allegory. They kind of get a teaching on this degree. Are were those teachings kind of more directly linked to Rosicrucianism? Is it? Were, were, would that, would the content of that degree be similar to what we have going on in the uh, the manifestos? Uh, thematically, not necessarily specifically. We're going to take this part of the manifesto, like the golden, like um, the RDAC does, you know, the, the Golden Dawn Dinner Order, where they take a chunk of, of the fama and they put it right into the ritual. Uh, instead, there seems to be more uh, thematic. Cause the the, the for instance, the Scottish Rite has a re is really heavily influenced on like Solomonic, uh, like King Solomon, not uh, mm -hmm. Solomonic um, uh, occultism, uh, symbolism, and it sort of incorporates uh, Rosicrucian ideology into its overall uh, mystery play that, that it does. But you don't have somebody being Christian Rosencruz, so far as I know. Um, it's been a while since I, I've read uh, Morals and Dogma, um, acting as Christian Rosencruz like you have somebody sort of kind of taking the place as Hiram Abif uh, in, in other rituals. So it's a little more um, on the side, as it, as it were. It's not quite as explicit uh, as it is in the Golden Dawn, for instance. Here in, uh, in the United States, uh, well, starting in England and then moving to the United States, there's a, there's a specific uh, Masonic group called the Societas Rosicruciana in Anglia, and then when it moves over to the in in England is how is what that is in Latin and then they moves over to the United States and uh, Societas Rosicruciana in Civibus Fraternitas or something like that uh, the United States essentially oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and these uh, purport to be specifically Rosicrucian Masonic orders I actually don't know a whole lot about them because they're invitation only and I have not been invited um, but yeah uh, it's my understanding that the at least the SRICF in the United States is at this point largely a, a supper club. It's not they don't really do a lot of esoteric -y stuff. Um, they're you know largely just a uh, an old boys club for you know old white dudes. It, that's my understanding anyway. I could be completely wrong, but uh, but they do, as far as I know, include some Rosicrucian symbolism in their uh, in their degree work. Uh, yeah, and as far as I know, the the English version um, it's a really great place to get drunk. Well, um, well <laughs> where again, is it? I mean, that, a TV studio is a really great place to get drunk. And jump, so, uh, yeah, I, you know, they they have their ten degree system. That, that seems to be which, which 
whether that's the origin of the 10 degree system or whether they borrowed it from, from somebody else, like the, the golden rosy the, the German Germanic order. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they are these, they're not even officially appellate bodies as far as I know. Well, the, the SRICF, Activian. yeah, the SRICF is, is attached to the York right in the United States. I, okay. I, I actually don't know about the English version because I don't yeah. think that the, the word, the phrase York right means the same thing over there as it does over yeah. here. As far as I know, and I, and I could be wrong, the, the SIRA is its own thing, mm. but you have to be a, a master mason, you have to be a Trinitarian Christian mm-hmm. uh, to, to, be, to become a member. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, yeah, they, they use, uh, because of course Westcott was one of the, like, the founding yes, members. Yes, right. Uh, so, so shockingly, they use uh, golden Rosicrucian symbolism because he was into that. Yeah. Um, and whether or not they ever actually practice magic, they may have at some point because of Westcott and that would, would have been sort of his emphasis. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I don't know that they do today. Uh, they're, they're rituals. And uh, I believe the first four degrees of the SRA rituals, uh, there was a commentary written uh, by Alex Summer, Sumner uh, um, for the JWMT, for the Journal of the Western Mystery Tradition. So that should still be online uh, somewhere. All right. Uh, I don't know. We'll put it in the show notes. Oh, um, well, I actually um, interrupted you, Dr. Uh, Kupperman, uh, after you were talking about Freemasonry, but you were about to mention something about Martinism uh, and, uh, and Rosicrucianism. Uh, yeah, you know, Martinism, and I'm not a Martinist, um, so, so I can't speak directly um, from my own knowledge, but I, I've, I've done a little bit of writing on, on the subject. Um, you know, Martinism is sort of fascinating because it has... A bunch of different subgroups within it um, besides there being uh, a couple thousand Martinist orders um, each of which has their own you know take on Martinism there there are is a Rosicrucian element to one branch of various forms of, of, of Martinism there's you know they, the the order Rose Cross or uh, Rose Croy um, and again you know so we're moving a little bit backwards because we've been talking a little bit about the Golden Dawn and the SRIA, which are which are later, um, so we're moving backwards uh, into the 1700s. Um, but again, there doesn't seem to be any reason to believe that they are a direct descendant from the Rosicrucians, capital T, capital R, mm-hmm. right from from the Fama. That instead they, like everybody else uh, that we've talked about, was influenced by Rosicrucian symbolism, brought it into. Uh, their their ritual system in, into their initiatory system in, into their their theurgy, um, and sort of have included that that element of it as uh, an inspiring source rather than um, where we came, where they came from. Right. Um, okay. Very cool. Well, we'll stay in the 1700s just for a moment before we we jump ahead a century into into Golden Dawn, but. Um, uh, so also, uh, if I'm to understand, after the uh, so we kind of talked about the other orders, but in the 16 and 1700s, there are a bunch of orders popping up, just straight up calling themselves Rosicrucian, right? And yeah. some of them are are saying they are the Rosicrucians from the um, from the manifestos, or others are saying we may not be the ones who wrote the manifestos, but we like them so much we're going to call ourselves the Rosicrucians. Um, mm-hmm. Like so, we do have a number of groups just popping up saying, yeah, we're we're Rosicrucians and you know, we love that that that, that those three uh, manifestos, and that's what we kind of want to do. So, mm-hmm. do we have that as well mixed in, like yes. uh, around this time period? A- absolutely. Um, the, the Golden Rosenkreutz um, is probably the most well known of these, and they're largely an alchemical order, as as far as I know, um, so far as you know. Um, 
so you and I think and I, I don't I don't know for certain if they consider themselves as a descendant of the original order or, or, or not, uh, but you've got a bunch of people popping up uh, claiming to be Rosicrucians uh, in the late 1600s, early 1700s, and then really moving, um, you know, in into the, the, the into the 19 1900s, and, and even today you've got new Rosicrucian groups popping up all over the place. Hmm. Um, so I guess that is actually a good. Okay, there's the 1700s covers. Check. Might as well check. Might as well uh, move on up. So you've already mentioned the the Golden Dawn a few times. Uh, just for listeners who don't know, maybe give us a one sentence who they were. Uh, but you said that they really kind of incorporate some 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 Rosicrucian symbolism uh, uh, kind of directly into into their system. So we could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, so the Golden Dawn is probably the most famous of the, the modern Rosicrucian orders. Well, strictly speaking, it's not the Golden Dawn. So the Golden Dawn, um, in the late 18, 1886, 1888, something like that, uh, you got uh, William Wynne Westcott, uh, S.L. McGregor Mathers, and Woodford, who like dies two weeks later in, in, in effect. Um, they form a Rosicrucian, or a magical uh, organization uh, called the Order of the Golden Dawn, where they incorporate uh, hermetic Kabbalah and al or alchemical symbolism and astronomy and tarot and all this sort of stuff. Uh, they sort of teach the magical philosophy and they have a bunch of initiation ceremonies and they're really not Rosicrucian. Um, <laughs> but it, it, so it's the, the second order, the, the, the Rosia Rubiad or Crucus, uh, or however that might be pronounced. Mm -hmm. um, and that gets formed a few years later after they get a bunch of people who've gone all the way through all of their outer material and go, okay, now what? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they claim that they are in contact, Westcott claims that he gets in contact with the Rosicrucian order in Germany. As Germany at this time is seen as the spiritual motherland. So if you're going to connect yourself to, to anywhere uh, mystically and magically, you're, which again, technical terms, um, mm -hmm. you're going you're gonna to go to Germany for that. And they develop this inner order, the R and AC. And this is their Rosicrucian order. Um, uh, very explicitly, the, the Adeptus Minor degree, the first degree of the, the first full degree of the, the R and AC. Uh, you know, there is an avault, avault of the Adepti based on the description in, in the Fama Fraternitatis. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a figure who, who plays um, Christian Rosicruz after he has been buried and, and been being rediscovered. Uh, by the candidate. Uh, so they, they bring elements of the Fama directly into not only are parts of it read, but parts of it are en enacted or reenacted right in the initiation ritual. Mm. After that, it becomes uh, questionable as to how Rosicrucian the RNAC actually remains. Uh, and depending on who you ask, they're either completely and totally Rosicrucian all the time, or they don't do anything Rosicrucian ever again, except that you wear one of these things, mm. and clearly you must be a Rosicrucian. Um, <laughs> so, but but they, 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 they understand themselves to be Rosicrucian, at, at least in, in spirit. I mean, they name themselves the, 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 the Rosier Rubier, the, the, the Red, the, how would we, whatever that is, the Rosier Rubier. The red rose and cross of gold, right? Um, so, so they have that that sort of connection um, in, in the inner order, at, at the very least. So, there's your way more than one sentence description. <laughs> of, on. 
And the Golden Dawn does exist today in, in various forms and after several interesting schisms and, um, you know. Yes. So, uh, so for people who are interested in Rosicrucian symbolism at the very least, that that's, uh, that's one direction that they could go. Um, if you're interested in magical practice. Yeah, yeah it's exactly, yeah, it's specifically magical practice uh, uh, order. Um, where does the OTO fit into all of this? Um, because they always fit into it somewhere. They, they, yes, they, they do. Um, and that comes through Alistair Crowley, mm -hmm. um, who was a member of the Golden Dawn in the RAC and either was or was not expelled, depending on whether or not you believe the people who expelled him had the authority to expel him <laughs> uh, or, or not. Um, and he goes on to become uh, an Adeptus Minor uh, of the RAC under Mathers in France. Um, and then that whole thing blows up. Um, not only the Golden Dawn and the RAC sort of blow up into fabulous little bits and pieces all over the place, um, but Mathers and, and Crowley's uh, relationship uh, self-destruct mm -hmm. uh, for, for various and fascinating reasons. Um, and Crowley, not only does he start his own uh, magical order, the AA, uh, which, which he does bring, he lo Crowley loved Rosicrucian symbolism, so even though Rosicrucianism should technically be part of the old Aeon of Osiris, um, this one would think, and I'm not overly um, uh, versed in, in the philosophy uh, behind that. Mm -hmm. um, he brings it right in, uh, and you see it in, in all of his books on the AA, like magic and theory and practice. Um, but then he also ends up going into the OTO um, because he ends up like meeting, I think it's Theodore Roos at, the, at the time, mm -hmm. but I don't fool me to that. Um, who, who accuses him, who accuses Crowley of publishing the, the, the highest secrets of the OTO, <laughs> at which point Crowley points out, but I'm not a member of the OTO, so how is that possible? Um, and so he kind of makes him a, a, an OTO member on site. Um, and Crowley either is give, becomes the head or takes over, again, depending on whose story uh, you, you want to believe. Um, and again, he brings in, because he loves this, the Rosicrucian symbolism so much, um, he brings that into uh, the OTO just like he does into the AA. Though I think it's stronger in the AA than it is in the OTO, uh, which is the Ordo Templi Orientis for those following yep. along at home. Right. Okay. Um, and how Rosicrucian are they? You know, if, if we go back to the Fama, are we going to find uh, really explicit Rosicrucian elements as they're shown in the Fama in either of these? Depends on how you squint. <laughs> you know, you know there, there certainly there's al alchemical symbolism. Uh, there's uh, inner or spiritual alchemy going on. There, uh, we may very well argue that there's uh, sexual alchemy in the OTO. So, kinda. Um, do they proclaim nothing but to cure the sick and that for free? Not particularly, but neither does the Golden Dawn. Right. Uh, neither do most of the modern Rosicrucian orders. Um, so I, I don't know how much we, we need to to be following those rules versus the overall philosophy that's in, in the FAMO or, or the Confessio when we're looking at these. Yeah. So we're kind of, uh, uh, now that we're going in order, um, we've arrived in the early 20th century and probably the, the most significant order uh, we should talk about is, is AMORC, A-M-O-R-C, uh, because they've kind of become a powerhouse in the 20th century and anybody who read comic books as a kid or, uh, um, I don't know, old Rolling Stones or uh, strange magazines would find their ads at the very back. Mm -hmm. um, I even so, looked uh, Oh, there we go. It's, um, uh, was, when did you, when, when you were a kid or like later in life? 
uh, when I was a teenager, I, maybe, maybe close to being 18 or 19. Uh, and it was, I don't even remember what, what I was reading at the time. It, it, um, I'm going to guess it was in the back of Gnosis magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems likely. And they sent me, and I've talked to other people. Um, you, know, they say, you, know, you have been selected, <laughs> especially. And if you join us now, you will receive this special gold rose cross pendant, which we're not giving to everyone, just special people. And almost everyone that I've talked to has gotten that same thing. Yeah. Um, oh, they are but, a marketing machine. That's for sure. They are. They are. Um, I did not join that um, after that uh, very flattering offer. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they are everywhere. Um, you know, they've got the Rosicrucian Park and the Rosicrucian Museum out in California. Mm-hmm. Um, they have really big, powerful lawyers suing anybody who calls themselves the Rosicrucian Society. Um, it's the sort of the question again, you know, how Rosicrucian are, are they? Uh, and the, the general consensus outside of Amorc itself, which of course were Rosicrucians, um, they seem to have a, a, some sort of lineage that goes back um, at least a century, if, if not more. Um, but people outside Amorc seem to say, hey, you're not really all that Rosicrucian. You, you don't see a lot of uh, the stuff that the Confessio and the Fama say that you should be doing. But again, it, it, a lot of that ends up being this matter of interpretation. You know, what is alchemy? Amorc seems to do some kind of spiritual alchemy with, it, with their, their meditations and whatnot. Um, they use Rosicrucian symbolism, but who doesn't? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we, we as as we move farther and farther away from the source material, um, the way Rosicrucianism gets interpreted becomes, and perhaps rightfully so, more modern. It stays with the time that it's being interpreted. In. So and that kind of know, fits, though, with the you know where where the clothes of your of your surroundings, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and then it always becomes that, that question. And you see that with modern Golden Dawn groups, with, with modern OTO groups. Well, they've moved this far away from the original material. Are they still this? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you saw it with, with Wicca in, in the 80s and the rise of eclectic Wicca well, in, in the 60s, 70s, but especially in the 80s and the Witch Wars, where you, you've got uh, traditional British Wicca going, well, no, this is the, the landmarks, as it were, right. uh, of, of Wicca. You're not doing this, therefore you're not Wicca. Um, and whether or not we agree with that, people ask that with the modern Golden Dawn groups, and we can ask that with Rosicrucianism. I think the problem with that with Rosicrucianism becomes because we have no evidence of an actual original order there's no one who really has the authority to say yeah okay rosicrucianism rosicrucianism not rosicrucianism rosicrucianism yeah well and you know that's not an uncommon problem in esotericism and has always been such right i mean the the very definition of an esoteric order is that it's secret and therefore you know, if uh, if somebody wants to make a claim of authority, then they're either breaking an oath or they're not being, you know, they're not really, they don't really have that authority to begin with. So uh, it, it leaves a, a large vacuum for people to step in who are, uh, you know, charlatans or, uh, you know, confused. And I'm not making any aspersions about any of the groups we've been talking about, but 
It is a. But, uh, but you, you can certainly look historically, like the, the Horos scandal with the Golden Dawn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they somehow got enough material to to pretend to be secret masters, secret chiefs. Yeah. Uh, and convincingly enough to Mathers that he gave them more material. Um, mm. So, yeah, the, the more you publish stuff, the more the stuff is out there, the easier it is for somebody to fake it. It's a fascinating history. <laughs> that this, whole, uh, this whole stream of, of Hermeticism and Rosicrucianism that winds through the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries, uh, full of interesting characters. And <laughs> we, just, yeah, we don't have a ton of time to get into it here. Um, one last point about Amorc. In fact, the, uh, I don't get a lot of hate mail, which is surprising to me because I, f- I feel like I should probably get more, but that's not an invitation. <laughs> you know, please don't send me your letters. Um, but the only hate mail I've really ever gotten is from Amorc people when I talk about Amorc. So for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. And we never, you don't talk about them that much. Well, we the one, I mean, like the one recording that I keep hearing people say, oh, I, I found out about you through, and it was from Greg Kaminsky's uh, podcast from, oh gosh, probably six, seven years ago where I did a, a little lecture in, uh, in the Theosophical Society in Boston about uh, Martinism. And I mentioned that the, the traditional Martinist order, the, the Martinist order that it belongs to Amwork, um, at one point offered uh, self-initiation into the Martinist order, and I have documents that, that prove it, but uh, people who in, are in the current traditional Martinist order are very adamant that that never happened. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it happened. <laughs> well, now we're going to get some more uh, yeah, hate mail. So all hate mail to, uh, to Jeffrey at jeffreyscopperman.com. <laughs> and we'll definitely read uh, those and get to you, get right back to you about whatever the issue is. Yeah, so I, I will reply to an Enochian, though, because it's always funnier than Enochian. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's funnier than Nokian. All right, have we exhausted the uh, uh, various Rosicrucian orders? Uh, did we miss any? Oh, I'm, uh, there are like oh. thousands of well, them. Well, sure. <laughs> so. We've hit all the really. We've hit all the ones that are likely to sue, though. So okay, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have any money. Don't sue us. <laughs> all right, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the symbols of the Rosicrucians, and then let's start with the. Uh, the Rose Cross itself. Uh, what kind? Of, what kind of interpretations have there been of that symbol? Well, you know, lots. Yeah. Um, you know, this is for anyone who's familiar with the Golden Dawn or the RDC. Yeah. Uh, this is sort of you know, the one that's known because it's published yeah. everywhere all the time. Um, and I, I. And it's pretty. I don't. It is. It's well. Thank you. This, this one's mine. Yeah. From back in the day. Mm. Um, and I don't know that I need to go usually into it because it's been published everywhere. Um, but, you know, this particular symbolism is used all over the RAC. It's got the rose in the center, which is used as a, to create ciphers for talismans, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of a minute minundum. It's, it's got the, the, the four elements and spirit. Uh, it's got planetary. It's got alchemical symbolism. It's got more on the back. Um, uh, so, you know, that's sort of one interpretation that the, the Rose Cross is a symbol of all of creation, um, which it itself you know, is hardly unique to the Golden Dawn. You can actually trace that back to um, Dante, you know, well-known Rosicrucian that he was, um, and his, his Rose of Creation in the Divine Comedy, in the, the Paradiso. Um, some forms, uh, if you look into 
the some uh, some 16th 17th 18th century Rosicrucian um, uh, books of, of emblems, um, which the Golden Dawn is basing this on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it has alchemical symbolism. Um, it doesn't even necessarily include uh, a rose with it. Um, so we see a lot of alchemical references uh, into it. Some are very simple. Some are simply, uh, you know, a cross. Sometimes it's like a black cross with a five-petaled rose, probably referring to uh, the fivefold name of, of God, the, the, the Yeshua uh, that was invented uh, uh, by Richelieu, I think, um, when he was trying to convert Jews uh, into <laughs> Christianity through yeah. Kabbalah. Um, uh, so it has the five petal rose and maybe it has a gold cross uh, in in the center of it. Um, there's this. This is my version for my non-existent Rosicrucian order <laughs> because I'm not starting a Rosicrucian order. I'm trying to figure out the center of my... Here we go. It's reversed. Um, yeah, you certainly put I, a lot of time and effort into something you're not founding. I'm just saying. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm a graphic designer. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so I like to make things. Um, so here's my... It's, you know, an equal armed cross. Yes. Uh, because Two I'm not of them, Christian. Uh, so you know, we have the equal, equilibrium of the elements, um, and then we've got uh, five, uh, five and se- seven petals on a two-tiered rose, um, which I took out of uh, Pythagorean symbolism, actually. Um, so in Pythagorean numerology, five uh, is a symbol of harmony. It's a number uh, of marriage of opposites, because um, has the even and the odd coming together. Um, and then the seven has the, numer- the, the symbolism of the planets, um, it's it's uh, a number associated with Athena, so it's associated with wisdom as well. So you have the harmony of the marriage of opposites, which is a very uh, alchemical symbolism, al- alchemical symbol, uh, married together with the um, the planets and the wisdom of Athena, and that gives you twelve petals. So that you've got the, the zodiac or the twelve tribes of Israel or, or whichever twelve symbolism you want you want to throw mm-hmm. in there. Um, so there are, you know, a lot of lots and lots of different versions. Amork has a version. Um, Manly Hall had his own version, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, the, the Golden Dawn's version. The, the a, Crowley's AA has its own version uh, as well. Um, I think commonly you see alchemical symbolism. You see planetary symbolism. Um, whether that's based because of the Golden Dawn's influence on everything after you know the 18, late 1880s. Uh, or because you see threes, twelves, uh, sevens as being very common numbers in Christian mysticism, um, I think both of those are probably quite viable uh, uh, possibilities, if not both of them being true. Mm-hmm. And uh, to kind of close things out here as we're uh, coming to the end of our time, um, what uh, what kind of Gnostic influences or um, uh, symbols or any of that do you see i mean we have to talk about gnosticism at least once right yeah of course well it's the gnostic wisdom network so mm-hmm. of course um the thing is i really don't see much at all uh-huh. uh, i see a lot of platonic symbolism i would argue for late platonism um if we're talking about gnosticism in, in the in sort of the more modern gnosticisms which seem to have a a, a much more uh, a late platonic influence than the you know uh, world-hating dualists uh, of like Sethianism. Um, you know we don't see that sort of thing in in the Fama, for instance. They mm-hmm. they they like the world. They they want to create a better world, um, and without any sort of reference to to archonic figures or anything like that. 
um, given the influence of Campanella on Andre and given the influence of Ficino on Campanella, I think we can make a strong argument for a, a Neoplatonic influence, um, uh, especially through alchemy and a theurgic uh, influence as well, which maybe is not uh, purely Neoplatonic. We, we, there are seem to be theurgic forms of classical Gnosticism as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the types of things that I might look for, whether it's archons or, or a evil demiurge or an ignorant demiurge that that's sort of making a really substandard world, I don't think we really see that in uh, classical Rosicrucianism. Um, I don't think we really see it in something like the Golden Dawn even. Um, so not so much. Yeah, all right. Well, I mean, there's uh, certainly uh, some validity in the um, comparisons to some modern Gnostic organizations. I, I think that much as the Rosicrucian orders have changed over the, the centuries, the, you can certainly say the same of Gnosticism. I don't think anybody, um, any contemporary Gnostic would say that what they're doing is exactly, uh, you know, first century, second century, third century Gnosticism. Um, and uh, if they are, then I haven't, <laughs> I haven't talked to them. But that, that's a whole different discussion. Oh, absolutely, which, yes. <laughs> which would be awesome to have the, the development of the of the Platonic traditions in, in the modern period. Yes, absolutely. So um, I, I certainly see a lot of overlap between uh, the individuals who are involved in contemporary Gnosticism and occultism generally, but, you know, more specifically, uh, you know, Golden Dawn type things and other, um, you know, the OTO, there's a lot of OTO Gnostics uh, as well. Um, and so in that sense, you do see these ideas popping up still uh, in Gnostic circles, um, even if the actual uh, worldviews don't blend particularly well. Absolutely, I, you know this this emphasis on on gnosis, mm-hmm. um, capital G or small G, whatever. <laughs> what you find in, in what you find in like all of the the mystical or religious Platonic traditions, mm-hmm. both the you know, middle and and later Platonism. I think that I, actually it's it's almost because I've been thinking about this today. What whether or not gnosis is explicit in the manifestos or not. Um, I think it's definitely implicit in the chemical wedding, mm-hmm. maybe explicit. I think it's less so in the fama or the confessio, though. Um, they don't, because they have this very scientific um, way of expressing uh, Rosicrucianism. It might be implicit in there, um, but it seems like that's much more of a, a modern take on Rosicrucianism. That comes out of um, you know Martinism and then in the Golden Dawn uh, and Ochione th- things like that. But it's certainly in whether or not it was in classical uh, um, um, Rosicrucianism. Uh, it is, I think, absolutely positively in modern Rosicrucianism. Um, and whether that's you know where that influence comes from, uh, you know, that's probably a combination of different places. You know, um, yeah, just completely lost my. <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, yeah. in, uh, in, in elements uh, of, um, of Freemasonry, in elements of theosophy, um, certainly there, there is evidence that um, the 
Theosophists and the Golden Dawn folk and the OTO folk and um, the, the Martinists were to varying degrees uh, conversant in you know, like the works of Iamblichus. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it is especially uh, um, demysterious. Um, the works of Plato uh, and sort of the mystical interpretations of that that, that we've seen. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, Jonathan, would you like to put our guest on the spot with this final question here? Oh, yeah, it's the most important question of them all. Yeah. Uh, what is your open source Rosicrucian order, and how do I join? Well, of course it doesn't exist. <laughs> of course. Because no one can actually admit to being a Rosicrucian and be a Rosicrucian. Um, this is, this is a, a joke uh, that Father Anthony and I have had for... I think time. five or six years yeah, now. Yeah, it's been time. a while. <laughs> At some point where I I, I, I I sort of randomly posted, I think when I was more active on Twitter, I am not forming a Rosicrucian Society, um, <laughs> which is still true. I am absolutely not doing that. I mean, I so might Adam have Mark, done Adam so. Lawyers, if you're watching this right now, he is not. <laughs> I am not forming a Rosicrucian Society. Rosicrucian and I would uh, not call it a Rosicrucian Society if I would do so. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I sort of... My, my thought was that when you look at what the Rosicrucian, what the Fama was trying to do, and I'm, I'm admittedly I'm influenced by Michael Meyer on this. They weren't trying to create a magic order. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they were trying to create a society of people who communicated and worked with each other and tried to live a, a certain kind of life out there in the world, much more like. Um, Freemasonry, I, I, I would argue, than like than the Golden Dawn, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's not anything against the Golden Dawn. Uh, it's a good one of w- what it was, but it's not what I think the Fama was trying to do, at least from, from Meyer's interpretation of it. Um, and I think the aims of Rosicrucianism um, are laudable, just like the discovery of the fraternity of the most laudable order of the Rosy Cross, as, mm-hmm. as the Fama's full title. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're about healing people, making the world a better place, of uh, disseminating knowledge, um, which I think is best done through a, a, a framework of society, of like-minded people getting together. Um, and I could then go into you know elements of Aristotle's notions of justice and friendship, which would bore everybody. <laughs> um, but, but I think th- those are sort of inherent in the idea of a functioning society. Um, that there is maybe influence from the Republic in this. There, there's uh, s- certainly influence um, from the, the City of the Sun, from, from, from Ficino and um, Campanella, that, and then the utopic writings of, of Andre. Uh, these are societies. These are, are not just people who occasionally get together to chant in Hebrew or Latin or Greek <laughs> and wear funny hats and wave sticks around that have been painted brightly colored in bright colors. And again, I'm nothing against that. I did that for years and years. Um, but that to me, isn't a society yeah. that that's, that's something else. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, uh, always more to say, but, uh, the, we are slaves to time as always. So, uh, thank you once again, Dr. Copperman for joining us on the show. We always enjoy when you come on uh, the program and share your wisdom with us. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And that's going to do it for our conversation with Dr. Jeffrey S. Kupperman. 
about the Rosicrucians. We hope you enjoyed it, and if you did so, don't forget to subscribe either on our YouTube channel or on your favorite podcast app. You get the same content in both places. And if you are able to, we would really appreciate it if you could support us over on patreon.com slash Gnostic. Um, your support will help us to grow and create more, better programs for you. We have a whole list of shows we'd like to get started, but uh, we can't do it without your support. So please visit patreon.com slash Gnostic and uh, throw us a couple of bucks every month and uh, your support will help us a whole lot and we really appreciate it. Anyway, thanks a lot and we will see you next time on Talk Gnosis.